Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello, and welcome back to Coding the Future. I am so excited and honored that you're going to spend another hour of your time with us today. Coding the Future is an education-based show to give information and action tips to working adults and educators to guide them to a new level of tech savvy. Through through leveraging their own skill set, we share the inside scoop on tech trends, explain how to leverage current technology in your career, and explore how your talents can be the key to your tech success. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. I'm an educator, a technologist, entrepreneur, mom of two crazy boys, lover of all things coffee and wine, an avid list maker, and a lifelong learner. And I am so glad to have you here on the show today. And I have to tell you, I know I feel like I say this almost every show, but I have really just enjoyed getting to know the guests that have been here on Coding the Future. And today I'm even more excited because I have a fellow educator with me and one who is not only an educator, but has worked in the industry to really be able to funnel that expertise into educating others and working adults in, in particular. So we are really excited to have this extra special guest here. And his name is Aman Agarwal. And I believe I said it right. If not, he'll correct me when he speaks. You did. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> so I usually always have to say it and then spell it out in my head. So thank you so much. But uh, Aman is here because we actually have synergies. We connected over the Voice America network and through another connection of his. And he is a former engineer, robots engineer, and has a lot of business to business sales experience. And he's now a teacher running his own company. And he has been, he says he's often accused of looking much younger than he is, which, you know, I don't, I can't be jealous of that. That's amazing. He's worked on self-driving trucks, high scale artificial intelligence data, and robot assistance. And before that, he was exclusively a business-to-business sales executive. I'm going to let him dig in and tell you more about his company. But first, I want to welcome you, Amon, to the show. And thank you for uh, spending your time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So I'd like for just to kick this off and uh, tell us maybe something about yourself that not everybody knows. And then we'll dig into more about your background. Well, what people assume is that I have that I'm a formal teacher, um, and on the flip side, I have no formal education in education or teaching uh, in the teaching profession. And instead, everything I know about the you know about teaching, I borrowed it from the film industry and from the language learning uh, schools. So. Everything I know about teaching, I borrowed it from people who know how to tell really good stories. Uh, you know, when you're watching a film, they really know how to introduce you to a new universe. And by the end of the film, you feel like you live in that universe, right? And you understand exactly what's going on in that world um, so well that I think a lot of teachers can learn a lot from filmmakers. And that's what I did. That's the direction I chose. I absolutely love that. 
Because you're exactly right. It is by the end of the movie. I mean, when you start the movie, you're not exactly sure. But the artistry of how a filmmaker, filmmaker, excuse me, takes you through that whole process is pretty amazing. And that really is very similar to how we think about learning a new skill. We don't know it in the beginning. And if we artfully walk through the story of how to learn it, in the end, we can be pretty well educated on that skill. You can talk the talk and you can walk the walk. So tell me a little bit about your background. So you're saying that you you don't have any formal teaching ex, uh, schooling, I guess is mm-hmm. that you want background, <laughs> but you do have a very rich history in technology. So tell me a little bit about that journey and how that journey has actually walked you into where you are now. Yeah, so I started out in college. Uh, my major was electronics. Um but I pretty much did everything except for that. Um, I was taking, I was just, you know, showing up in all sorts of random classes from uh, drug history to, um, you know, liberal arts, energy policy and whatnot. And uh, which means I was completely lost as to what I wanted to do in life when I yeah. graduated from college. Um, I, you know. I feel like sometimes you <laughs> all are at that age. Yep, yep. And so I just went into sales because I thought sales was so fascinating. Uh, it teaches you everything about the business and uh, it makes you better at dealing with people. And I always enjoyed you know, working with other people. And uh, I ended up working as a B2B sales guy um, for a large tech education company called Udacity. And uh, while you know, selling you know, really complex technical um, education programs, I decided to go back to being an engineer because at that time, the AI, you know, um, world was exploding and uh, everyone was talking about AI. They, they still are, but this is like kind of in the early days. And I decided that I need to be an engineer myself. So I went back to technology, you know, uh, ended up being a self-driving trucks engineer in Silicon Valley and doing other cool stuff. And then I noticed that there's a huge communication gap between technical and non-technical people, especially the go-to-market side and the the ones who actually build the product. Mm-hmm. And you talk to salespeople, you talk to engineers, they think, they both think the other side is stupid uh, and they don't know what they're, <laughs> what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it's, and I decided to start the company as a way to bridge that gap because over these years, one thing I was doing in parallel was writing um, essays on Medium as a hobby for free to explain complex technology to everyday common people. So it kind of, you know, the, both the both of my different uh, sort of directions just came kind of came together, and it happened. So tell me a little bit about that experience on Medium. Medium is a platform that allows individuals to be able to write columns and submit to Medium, which is an online platform to be able to share their expertise. So how did you start writing and what were you writing about? Yeah, in the in the beginning, it was just about, you know, helping. So it was my, my audience has always been non-technical people. Um, okay. Because, you know, building that, that bridge at the workplace, I was always frustrated, like, and... Um, a lot of people felt lost that, you know, the engineers speak a different language. It's like they're 
spacefaring aliens from the future or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started writing about really simple stuff like how do you manage a software project if you're outsourcing, you know, programming tutorials, and then it moved on to how do self-driving cars work, what is machine learning, mm-hmm. you know, how did how did the Google AI beat the professional uh, keyboard, like Go players, and so on and so forth. You know, that's really valuable because even I'm trying to think about this in, in the in a in a way that makes sense because I, I've I've thought about how much technology has changed over the past ten years. I mean, it's just or twelve years now. I mean, I and I've said this before on the show where I feel like in 2008 there was this big trigger and flip flop and how technology began to change our lives because to me the pivotal moment was the iPod. And then we went because that just immediately changed the way in which we listen to music. And then you went into your the iPad and then your, your smartphone. And I, I've said this before, too. I did this expose with a group of students in 2008 about the iPad. And mm-hmm. it was a story that CBS had done. And the kids were all like, well, you know, why am I going to use that? And then they go to their yeah. slider phones and they, we still had desktop computers. But you know, even at that time, artificial intelligence and machine learning was happening. We just didn't know that's what was happening. And it's often really scary for people. They think, you know, they think that robots are going to take our jobs or take over the world. And and that's not what's going to happen because we still have to have human capacity to drive all of that. So I think that's really valuable to be able to explain to someone what is artificial intelligence and machine learning. So I'm going to put, I am going to put you on the spot. If you could give that, could you give a definition of your definition of machine learning and your definition of artificial intelligence? Sure. So I'm going to go through a story again, right? Um, Love it. Perfect. If I told, if I asked you to recognize what a lion's roar sounds like, you have a model in your mind about what a lion's roar is like, right? Yes. But if I told you that if if you've seen the Lion King movie, the original 1994 animated movie, saw it in the movie theater, you know, thank you. Did you know that all the roars that you heard in the movie were actually tiger roars? No, but you know what, now that you've said it, I think I've I remember hearing that. Yeah, because a tiger's roar in reality is much more 10 times bone chilling and more uh, frightening than a lion's roar. A lion's roar actually sounds like like somebody, someone just grumbling after a big meal. You know, it's 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 pretty underwhelming if you hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why they were able to pull it, they were able to pull it off, is because you don't have a model. The average person doesn't have a model in their mind about the difference between a lion's roar and a tiger's roar, right? And the same goes for a lot of things that we do in life. If you had to train someone, let's say to distinguish, to do a certain task within a certain, within one day or two days, right? You would make them, you would show them how that task is done a few, several times and make them do that task on their own. And until they get it correct, until they do it just the way that you do it, you know, you just keep repeating the process. And uh, by the end, they're, they're like pretty skilled at, you know, doing that task. And now you begin to want to question what is intelligence really? You know, if I can, if you can teach a you know somebody to 
identify lion's roars from tiger roars after making them play each for a few hours and see if they're getting it right or not. Um, how much of what we understand about the world is simply just data that we have been exposed to repeatedly. And now we kind of understand, like we have a pattern, like, okay, this is A and this is B mm -hmm. and this is C. Yes. Uh, but we don't really know what a tiger's roar is. Like we, we know how to recognize a tiger's roar or, or a lion's roar, right? Well, I thought I did until you told me that I actually don't have a picture of what a lion's roar is. Yeah, it's like the it's like the you know the the story of like blind people looking at an elephant by touching and feeling, and each of them thinks they're seeing a different thing, right? Right. Um, and so computers with computers is the same way. You artificial intelligence is basically a a piece of software that you feed in a lot of data of a certain type. Let's say you want the software to recognize lion's roars from tiger's roars. You feed in to create a model that can simply recognize, um, you know, one from the other or distinguish one from the other. And after a while, after getting enough data, it works so well that you think it's intelligent, right? But in fact, it's not. Even if it can, like, just by you feeding in data and it giving you the right answer, it doesn't mean it's intelligent. It just means it's a, it's a better model of uh, that problem of whatever and this might this this is getting mucky this might get a little confusing um but that's what it is it's just a model of something in the world that you were mm -hmm. able to capture in a computer and if you put enough models together you have something that seems to work like it has intelligence yes okay that's a great yes i like that and that's a really great way to explain it because I, also, I sometimes I'll think about it a bit like Pablo's doll, dogs, where mm. you are doing the same, it's that pattern and that repetition. And even when you're teaching a new programming language, the piece that I found to be the most impactful for students was to repeat and repeat yep. and repeat until it became a part of their habit. You know, there is something to be said that it takes 10 days to break a habit and, you know, because you have to repeat that action over and over to try and break it or even to make a habit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, the more information that we can give the computer, because it's not a human, it's yeah. a device. So we've got yeah. to tell yeah. it what we want it to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just like babies, like, you know, this is edible. This is not edible. Right. Although it doesn't work that way, but yeah, sure. <laughs> so let me ask you this question because I, I this is, and, and I know you probably get this a lot, but when you were working on the autonomous driving cars, what was the most frustrating part about that? Pro and I don't, it's not really a problem. It's a, it's a really amazing innovation invention, but what mm -hmm. did you find to be the continuous hump that you have to try and navigate around? in something like an autonomous driving car? Yeah, I think um, we underestimate how good humans are at driving, you know? And mm. for an example, I have never got into a driving accident unless I was doing something stupid. Um, and that was like many, many years ago. And the average person doesn't get into a driving, a driving accident every year or even every two years, right? 
it's like every five years, every six years, seven, I don't know how much it is, but imagine like if you put it, put that in a percentage, you know, that's nine, if, if you take hundred trips mm-hmm. and then you take 1000 trips in a car, yes, maybe, maybe you get into one accident. So one out of a one, uh, one out of 1000 is like 99.99, you know, something, something. And most drivers are better than that. Right. Okay. And so for an artificial, you know, a computer, for a computer to drive a vehicle that well mm-hmm. on the real road with chaos happening and you know, being able to prepare for everything, having a pleasurable experience, it's actually much harder. So you need much, much more data. And you also need a culture inside the company that understands the challenge of making these cars safe. Hmm. And uh, my job, you know, in, in that industry was kind of a, its own thing because I was a safety engineer. So my job was to make sure that we were, the truck that, was, that we were building was safe you know, and met its mm-hmm. requirements. And the funny thing is, I was trained as an engineer by people from like NASA, Lockheed Martin, the Cornell, like upstate New York, the, the the Upper East Coast culture mm-hmm. of like government contractors and defense companies and so forth. And I was working in Silicon Valley with people who were, you know, used to the build things fast and break things and just yes. keep iterating and see if this works. And so one side is like prepare everything beforehand for like two, three years or four years, five years, and then go through it really, really rigorously. And it's like, Create something, see if it works, iterate, be, be agile. Um, the agile so for framework, me, it was right. like, yeah. yeah, the agile framework. For me, it was the bridging that cultural gap that there is value in slowing down and preparing beforehand. Sure. Although there's also value in doing things quickly. Right. So, yeah. No, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I could see that, I mean, I can visualize the difference and I'm going to see if I can break this down for our listeners too. What Aman is saying is on one side is what we call the waterfall method where it's you build, you build, you build, and then you test it. And it's like, it's almost not like a free for all, but you start testing and it's like, you've had all this work and it really could either go one way or the other, right? Versus what has become more popular in the tech industry, which is agile. And the agile methodology is you run in these iterations and you work on it, you test it check out all the issues, work on it again. And what I hear you saying is that there's value in both and that in something like an autonomous car, it's a little different than working on an app that you may need for something, right? So there needs to be a bit of both in that thought process. So I think about that because, and the reason why I bring that up is one of the other pieces I think is very powerful about your background and how you've been able to put that into education is there was there was room for success and there was room for failure. In okay. education, we have gotten a bit stuck in a circle that everything has to be a success. You know, the only way you are viewed mm-hmm. as a success is if you have an A in your class mm-hmm. and you need to get the answer right. And it's either you get the answer right or you get it wrong and there's no room for anything in between. But yep. in your work and in the work of the real world, we know that that in-between piece is often where the magic happens, 
You know, it's like mm-hmm. you've had a success, you've had a failure and somewhere in between. And I think that's probably a good piece of what's driven you in your career, in your writing. And I just realized that I have been following your writing. I d- was just looking at him a second ago and I'm like, oh my goodness, I've read like four or five of his articles and I didn't even put the two together. I mean, look at that. <laughs> and from Medium. And that's driven you into your business. But I'm curious before we dive into your business, um, speaking about technology, is there a technology or software that has been a really anchor point of your career or your uh, career life that you've used over the past, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years, 20 years you've been in your career that has really helped you? Or it may be mm. something that you started with and then that was the skill set that you built on for moving forward. Hmm. A software or a technology that I've, uh, that's really impacted me. Mm-hmm. I think, I think so. I was, I started, you know, learning stuff online back in 2011 when it was the beginning of online education in a way, you know, like online, massive open online courses and I remember back uh, that everybody I talked to was like, oh, no, the only way you can learn stuff is in a classroom with a teacher who is teaching like 50 students at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you have like some camaraderie with your friends and whatnot. And I was more of the, you know, I, I, quit, I instantly became an advocate of, yeah, you have a lecture that you can read at your own pace in your room on a laptop with nobody else to disturb you. You can pause and rewind as many, as much as you can, like. You know, that for me was like a game-changing experience. Like I could see the future that education is going to be about, you know, professors like giving lectures in class are going to be quickly phased away. And the only the only reason why you go and listen to someone in the physical space is when they have an interesting story, when they're trying to tell you something funny and they, you know, or they have a like a workshop or, and the job of a teacher is really not to be a, streamer of content but to be someone who supports students so i think now education is moving towards a you know a place where the professor will like most of the content will be pre-recorded the lectures will be pre-recorded the materials Mm -hmm. will be just recorded and you can study them at your own pace and the job of a teacher will be more on -on one-on-one support so a lot more office hours and mm-hmm. much less preparation for the next lecture they have to deliver in a classroom to the same students, you know, every single year, every every six months or so, whatever. So online education, in short, online education, online courses, I think they've made the biggest impact on my life. You know, I love that. I love that you said that because I could actually agree with you 100%. When I began my education career in college in the late 90s, I went, that was, I mean, that's when I got my first email address was in 1998. I mean, we just didn't have that prior to then. But when I went and when I finished, I finished my four-year degree and then I went to do my master's at East Carolina University. And I would agree with you. That was a pivotal moment for me because that was during the days we were doing online education, but you had a big webcam and we had rooms that we went into to learn. But that was, it was really interesting because I had actually moved to Greenville, North Carolina to, to do my degree. But after my summer classes and a little bit in the fall, we did some things in the fall. After that, I could have 
moved back home to, to Charlotte and done all of my classes because they were all online because yep. East Carolina had stepped into, and that was in 2001, had stepped mm-hmm. into that online portal. And just thinking about how much it's changed since then is pretty dramatic. But I will agree. I like that you said that because it brings back a lot of fond memories of that. You know, the, we would get, <laughs> the get on it. You'd worry, you weren't sure if your, your camera was going to work or not. But it was really powerful because I didn't have to step foot into the building, which, you know, now we see is that that's, that's really occurring at this moment. I like that a lot. And I still think that that's, um, I I can see the relevancy of where we're going in terms of, and the other thing that I'll say to you as well, is that that was a really big part of when I was teaching programming and and I'm still teaching, is recording videos and putting them so the students had access to it. We call that a flipped classroom, you know, Mm -hmm. in in the K-12 world. And it, that is very powerful because then when they would come to see me, then it was about conversation and where they got stuck, not so much about me standing in front of them and lecturing. And I learned very quickly that in programming, just like in anything else, you need time to process what you're being told. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that you leads, can't pause a lecturer in the middle of the classroom, but you can pause them on your computer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I can go back and listen to it or not listen to it or skip to the end. And, you know, in an age where our attention spans are much like gnats, that's very exciting, <laughs> in my opinion. So tell, okay, so I want to switch gears just a little bit. So we know that you've had a background in engineering, that you have uh, done lots of work in the tech field. And then what made you switch to thinking about opening up your own business. What drove you to that decision? Mm, so I knew since I was, since the beginning of my, you know, being a small kid and having consciousness that one day I would just be having my own business. You know, it just, I don't know why, I don't know how, but I've always known since the very beginning that I would be an entrepreneur. I had, I started having business ideas since I was five or four or whatever. Um, and all my life is just about finding the right idea and, you know, also discovering my own skill sets, like what am I good at? Um, and as soon as all of them came together, it just happened to be too late when I was already, you know, much older, but as soon as it happens, I know, boom, you know, I'm going to quit everything and start off. I call it the light bulb moment because I had a similar experience. I had been doing a lot of things on the side and it was great. It was a little extra jingle in my pocket, as my mom would say. But I, there was a moment where the light bulb just flipped. And I thought, you know what? It's time. It's time to make the jump as scary as it is. So, Amon, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I would like for us to dig in to a bit about your current company and tell us more about what you're doing and then the real benefit of why education in the corporate world is so important. So stay with us. Aman will be back with us after the break. In the meantime, if you'd like to check out more of what is happening on the Code the Future uh, podcast and radio show, you can check us out on the Voice America online network, or you can go to Apple or Stitcher and find Code the Future and download the app. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy. Visit the dotconsulting.co. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Welcome back, everybody, to Coding the Future, and I'm so glad you have stayed with us and are ready for another wonderful segment of, it, of amazing conversation with Aman. And before we went on break, Aman, I was mentioning that I really would like for you for this segment for us to dig in and talk about your business and how you have launched this education company called Sanpram, and you are working very exclusively with corporate uh, corporations to help them understand technology and bridge that gap between technical and non-technical individuals. So you knew when you were a kid that you wanted to have your own business. You've worked as an engineer. You understand that technical side. You've written some articles. How did you get that first customer and and open up your doors? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I had a fitness instructor friend of mine. And he wanted to build, he was building a, an app, uh, a fitness app. You know, he wanted to start off as a tech entrepreneur. And he hired one of his uh, friends to build the app for him. Um, but it kept taking longer and longer. And my friend kept trusting the engineer, like, okay, I, I guess you know what you're doing. Um, but he really had no way of managing the person that he had hired. You know, because it was an engineer. And after a while, he realized that you know, the engineer didn't really know what he was doing or he was taking advantage or something was going wrong. And he lost a lot of money and time uh, and trust mm-hmm. in the, the situation, which was sad. And him and I were talking about this in the gym one day. And uh, I said, you know, I could, you know, in an, an hour or two, I could explain to you the basics of 
how the software stuff works so that you don't get, you know, so that you have a clue next time you're working with an engineer. And so I took a couple of days to think about how I'm going to teach it to him, how I'm going to explain it. And uh, a few days later, I was back in the gym with him with a little handheld whiteboard. I was sitting, I was standing on one bench and he was sitting on the other bench <laughs> and I was, I had a marker in my hand and I was drawing stuff on the whiteboard and explaining stuff to him. Um, That's awesome. So that was the first, that was the humble beginning, the first lecture in a dark gym where I was teaching <laughs> a fitness instructor about software and code and frameworks and whatnot, right? And uh, that was, again, almost pretty much pro bono. I, you know, I was doing it for as a favor to a friend. But a few days later, but I kept thinking, so I'm a student of the craft of teaching. I'm always thinking about how, what's the best way to explain or teach something to someone uh, in the way that they can understand it and they can use it, right? It's like a, so I, it's like a scientist brain or an athlete brain switch on, switches on in my brain when I'm thinking about teaching. Like some people have that for cooking, some people have that when they're programmers or artists or whatever. For me, it's teaching, you know. Teaching is my mm-hmm. science or skill or whatever. I, I can totally relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I kept thinking about it in the shower and uh, a few days later I was like, I think a lot of other people might need this and I can turn this into a program for non-technical entrepreneurs and CEOs and salespeople, you know, all that stuff. And then I started making some phone calls to my friends, like, hey, what do you think of this? Um, And a few days later, I was like, I'm going to write one essay on Medium to see if this is possible, to see if a program like this would be possible. I'm going to make like a trailer of the program and see if I get some interest, right? And so I spent several days writing that essay. I had like 10 people read it live on a Zoom call with me mm-hmm. and give me feedback. You know, I was watching them creepily like <laughs> as they read my <laughs> essay and said stuff that came to my that came to their mind. Um, and uh, once I launched, I had my first customer within a few days who loved the article, loved the essay and uh, wanted to talk more. So that's how we started. That's incredible. There's two things about that that I really like. One is that you did your research and the, you started writing the article and then you brought people on. And I love that you said you were creepily watching them because I'd be doing the same thing. Like, what are you thinking about this? Yeah. But that's a great way to, but that's exactly what educators do. We write a lesson plan, we put it out there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And then we, a lot of times, especially for those of us in the higher grades, we'll maybe do it for first period. And if it doesn't work, then we're like, okay, we're going to tweak this for second period or whatever it is. Yep. you know um and then you were able to really get the feedback to be able to move the program forward how yeah. do you feel like it changed so then when you had your first customer then did you edit it you know edit the program again i didn't even have the complete program until i had my first customer i hadn't even incorporated the company until the first customer was like, okay, how do I pay you? And I was like, good question. Let me incorporate a company instead of a bank account and stuff <laughs> I'll get like back that. To you. So, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it was about, you know, having creating something that can sell the idea or the vision of what I'm offering, like sell mm-hmm. the value proposition. And then, you know, once you have some feedback, uh, f- at least for me, I did it that way. I, like I know people who like to build the whole thing because 
like for example, Zoom, you know, the software we are using, mm-hmm. he knew that the founder knew that if he just pitched the idea of Zoom to people, they would be like, I already have Skype and I already have Google Hangouts and everything. But he was like, no, there's a problem. If I can build the product and sto- see them where the magic is and how easy it is to use, mm-hmm. until then, nobody will buy the idea. And so he spent two years spending his own money, hiring engineers, working with them in complete yeah. silent stealth, build the whole product that was, you know, in the end, much better than everything else. And yes. once it came to market, the, the final product, then he was like, wow, this is amazing. So, but for me, you know, as an education company, I don't have to create the whole program to sell somebody on the first lesson, right? I can just create the first lesson or the intro. And if anybody is interested, I can, you know, uh, get them to spend money on uh, buying it. And that's what I did. Well, I like that idea. And that's, again, that's that mixture of the waterfall versus the agile framework of, you know, Zoom really took the waterfall approach, built the whole thing. But that was really the right decision for that, because you're right, people have been like, oh, no, I've already got Skype, I've already got, you know, whatever, whatever. And I I would probably have even said that, you know, but Zoom by far is the superior product over any of them that I have used thus far. And this is not a a, um, commercial for Zoom, just a statement. Yeah. And um, I wish they, sponsor, they sponsored me, you know, for yeah. saying that. <laughs> We're just saying, you know, Zoom, if, you, if you're if you hearing this and you would like to have a conversation with myself or my mom, we're in. But, and then I also like your approach in terms of you. And, and, and honestly, when I think about building a unit or curriculum, I do this in a very similar fashion. I tend, I used to tease a lot that was, especially when I first started teaching, I'd usually say like an hour ahead of the children. Mm-hmm. I, I do a little more than that now, but there'd be things that'd be coming along like, okay, well, let me, I need to adjust and figure out because something didn't work in the lesson before. Or if I've, if I'm seeing that they have a lot of interest in one particular content piece that we're working on, let me see if I can tweak that a bit more to keep their interest sustained. Mm-hmm. What yeah. do you think has been the most challenging part about building the business so far? The challenge with such an industry is always sales. Mm-hmm. You know, it's by far always sales. Um, and of course, like you can get a few sales by word of mouth and, you know, creating a big plan. But the goal to have a sustainable business is to have a process by which you can get new customers. Right. And so, you know, some companies can invest in a lot of content for inbound marketing and so forth. And some companies just go like create a sales force, go and pound the pavement, knock on doors and see, you know, um, it's just a numbers game. So for me, it's, uh, it's about figuring out the right mixture because I'm a writer, I'm a content creator, but I'm also a sales guy, you know, by, right. uh, by discipline, formal training or whatever. Um, so again, for me, it's, and again, it's also about branding because showing up to a door like, hey, I'm a really good teacher. Would you like to buy my course? And I'm, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. teach you really well. You know, it's mm. it's not a good pitch, you know. Um, so, f- fix, but simply relying as a, as a small company on content marketing, like, oh, I'm going to put stuff out there and the people will come. That's also kind of like you're relying too much on hope. So again, f- finding the right balance of, if mm-hmm. you're going to knock on doors, don't knock on doors to sell your course sell something else or offer like the content or, you know, find, find the right balance, find the right mixture of both sides. Right. That's, that's the biggest challenge for me. I would agree with that 100%. And then having, 
showing up every day to continue, even if there hasn't been a success in a while. So, which leads me to my next next question: and what would be the bi- biggest success that you feel from running your own business? So the. <laughs> Um, it's actually right, it's right in the very beginning where uh, when I first wrote the essay and somebody, there was this lady on Reddit, uh, it's a social media platform mm-hmm. for those yeah. who are not, not aware. She commented that not only was it the best thing she had ever read, but the analogies were uh, as perfect as her favorite burrito. Um, and she <laughs> she said it in such a nice such a nice uh, way that I actually screenshotted that compliment and I saved it on my computer. And uh, every time I get like one of those you know um, period one of those times when I'm like feeling down like oh mm-hmm. this is like my stuff sucks and my business is gonna fail nothing's gonna work out like you have those moments sometimes right. Um, I think about the positive feedback that some people like her have given me and I've, you know, saved it all on my computer and it just tells me like, maybe it's not actually that bad. You know, if, if I can find out of the millions of people, a few people like them who like the, like what I'm doing as much as I, as much as they do, then I can have a sustainable business uh, myself. So. I love that. And I think that's, <laughs> that's good advice in uh, across the board about finding that little piece that, that lifts you up from a success that you've had because we hit valleys and we hit uh, the lows and and the highs and and anything that we're doing. And so that's always a good reminder. I'm also struck by uh, the importance of the work that you're doing and sharing the technical with the non-technical, but also at the same point, really addressing the issue of education and training in the corporate world and, and, and across, even in small business, really in small business or business in general, you know, it's an area that, you know, is not often met with excitement because a lot of times it's an expense for a business. So Mm -hmm. they don't see it as a value where on the flip side, what we know to be true is that the more you educate, you promote, and you provide opportunity for your, your staff, your faculty, your employees, the longer they're going to stay. It's, it's a, actually a cost savings in the end. So tell me, I mean, I've said that a little bit, but what do you see as the great value of providing education, having a conversation like what you're doing in terms of expressing technical versus non-technical and and giving your employee, giving employees and staff that confidence. Yeah. So the first thing I, so what, what I, when I think about education, I think um, this is a quote by either Galileo or Da Vinci that there is no learning without desire, right? Desire is the first step, the first crucial step for any learning to happen of any kind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if whether it's a student in a classroom or a, an employee or whatever, if they're not interested in learning about, or, or if they're not, if you teach quantum chemistry or whatever, and they're not interested in what the possibilities of quantum chemistry are, they're not going to be like, it's a, it's a hard sell to keep somebody engaged, right? And so in corporate training, in corporate training, if you're training somebody to do a particular job better, right? The first thing that has to be there is that they have to be a student of their own craft. Like if you have a salesperson 
who's interested in being a better salesperson and selling better, they're a good, good you know, uh, target audience for a sales training program. If you have, for within the same team, if you have somebody who's doing sales because he doesn't know what else he should be doing, and he's just there because, oh, I thought it would be good, you know, let me see, let me give it a try. I don't know, I don't really like it, but whatever. Uh, you could get the world's most expensive, fanciest sales trainer, and he wouldn't be able to make a dime of a difference to this person. I think it's the harsh reality. And so the key is to, I think, I think it's better to, in fact, invest in the high performers or those who are interested in leveling up than in those who are on the downward trajectory and are unsure about their job in the first place. Right. So I agree. Of course no, I'm, are, I'm, I'm liking where you're going with this I, yeah. because you've got to start with the people that are going to be your champions. Yeah, exactly. And of course there are people who are like being demotivated from the profession because they don't have the right training and they've tried everything else. But I think that's like less than five or 4% of the population. Um, where you actually are a student of your craft and you're trying everything else. You just don't have the right materials and the right coaching. You know? mm-hmm. For example, when I, like, I, when I worked in sales, I never had a sales training program ever, like no books, nothing. Um, I just hit the ground running and I spent a lot of time outside of work reading stuff online and buying materials on my own on how to sell better because I just enjoyed learning about that, you know, that myself and mm-hmm. same for teaching you know i just figured out how to teach better nobody forced me to learn to teach and start a technical and start an education company um and i think it's this, it's a good attitude that companies invest in the people who are actually willing to learn who are asking for training who are performing better help the best ones level up and uh, if somebody's you know on the other going in the other direction you know the conversation you should be having is you know what's really going wrong like are you okay is everything all right like instead of assuming that everybody just needs training and they'll be you know an a star you know have more empathy and try to understand what people really want themselves i like that you know and I, i've said that before too when you're when you're wanting to create change and, and this is not a new piece you you find individuals that are going to be your champions that are going to walk the walk, talk the, uh, drink the Kool-Aid for lack of a better, you know, analogy that are going to help support the work you're doing because then as it becomes more and more of a pattern and a, a known, then other people will begin to open up to think about it. And then there's going to be individuals that are just not open to training at all, you yeah. know, and they, they, then, they don't care about the problem, right? They don't care about the problem. So you want to reach people who care about the problem. What has been something, so uh, talk to me a little bit about what your system is. So when you work with a client, what is the core framework that you're using to help bridge that gap between technical and non-technical worlds? So usually I work only with one executive, right? The one person who cares the most about that problem, they would be willing to spend, you know, five times more money um, because they care so much. Right. Mm-hmm. And they want somebody to work with. And I work one on one, at least as of now, I prefer to work one on one because I'm still, again, like a student of my craft. I'm still improving the program, even though 
I keep getting feedback that, at, oh, it's okay, it's pretty good, but I'm like, you know, um, and, I, and I don't want to scale yet to hundreds and thousands of customers. Sure. Um, so what usually happens is, uh, you know, I start with a, a quick call on seeing what their goals are, and then I tweak and tailor the program and the, the plan that I have to their goals. Um, gotcha. And then it's a constant cycle of assessment, like what they already know and where they are, where, where they want to go, then addressing you know, th- their concerns or what knowledge gap they have. It's very agile in a way. Mm-hmm. So I basically guide them from being able to design technical systems at a high level because these are entrepreneurs, executives, right? So they want to be a manager of a technical team and they want to be able to say, okay, I know what, what happened on the back end, what's on the front end, the database and so forth. Then we go deeper into, you know, what is like within the back end, what type of database, you know, what type of front end, what type of frameworks people mm-hmm. choose uh, and why, what some cybersecurity concerns, you know. Um, and then they build and we learn, of course, we learn about AI, machine learning, data science, analytics, uh, how to scale applications to millions of users because, Building an application for 100 people is very different from building the same app, the same exact application for 100 million people, right? So we learn about the differences and how to think about them. And finally, once they're done with all this technical stuff, there's also an aspect of technical management, you know, the engineering culture and how you fit into it, the balance between trusting and delegation um, and keeping people accountable, how are engineers different from other kinds of employees in you know in terms of the work they do? The different kinds of engineering roles, like you have developers and operations, um, different companies and how they structure their engineering culture. Like Netflix has a very different engineering culture from Uber and Google and so forth. It's a lot of exposure to the real world questions that a person faces on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. when they're actually running a technical company. So, you know, for example, if you go to a coding bootcamp, it makes you a software engineer, but it doesn't prepare you for, for, for from, from, the, from an executive's perspective, you learn to have much more empathy for an individual developer. Mm-hmm. But until you learn about tech, how to run a technical organization, you know, that's like a lot more things to learn there uh, than if you were like, I want to learn to code so I can get a job or something like that. No, I like the way you put it because it's a big umbrella, you know, in terms of how you're going to run the organization because you have the backend data pieces, you've got the infrastructure pieces, you've got the software, the programming development, and then you've got the digital piece of bringing all the different software pieces together. That's the way I... I visualize computer science and technology in my brain as in four buckets of digital data, infrastructure, and programming, because those are all the pieces that come together that actually make an organization run. And really any organization at this point, because we rely on technology as much as we do. I I like that. I like that step. And I like the process that you walk through. You understand it. You walk through it. You understand it. You walk through it until you're ready to be ready to expand and grow. And I also think it's very smart um, that you mentioned that you're not scaling your business yet because you're really in you're really um, focused on the value of that one on one connection. And I can very much appreciate that, too, because I think that's where I've seen the most growth 
is when you see the light bulbs go off in your clients and see how that one-on-one work is, is really, was really helping them. Aman, I'd like for people to know a bit about your writing and about your business and how they can get in touch with you. But before we do that, if you could give one action tip to our listeners of something they could go out and do right now in terms of either learning a new technical skill or maybe it's reading something, what would that piece of action advice be? Um, Well, so I assume that a lot of them are working with engineers or, uh, you know, with technical people, or some of them are entrepreneurs who are Mm -hmm. maybe thinking of hiring technical talent in with expertise that they don't have themselves. And so my advice will focus on these two problems, you know, if if you don't mind. Right. Sure. If you're, if you're somebody who's looking, who's hiring technical talent, like let's say you're hiring your first engineer, who's going to be doing a lot of the decision-making the key thing to look out for there is the heart of a teacher because you not only want a domain expert as your first employee because you're not really delegating stuff to them. They're being brought in as an expert to teach you uh, about how their stuff is done, right? So if they don't have the patience and the willingness to teach you about how to manage them better over time, um, it may be that they just go off and do their own thing and they may do it well, but you might find it difficult to be on the same page as, uh, as they are. So that's the first step that, you know, always look for when you're hiring any expert, whether it's a fitness instructor or a, a great accountant or, you know, whatever for yourself, look for someone who's interested in teaching you um, if, if it's a long-term relationship. And uh, the other one, I think, is for having difficult technical conversations. I think a lot of people, like engineers and non-engineers, especially in organizations, they feel like they're on opposite sides. The engineers are like, this is not possible. And I have certain limited amount of time that I can put on into the work. And I want to, like, they want to be protected from the rest of the company, in many cases, from the salespeople and from the marketing people. Uh, to do the engineering, the cool engineering stuff, right? And there's often a culture divide in the companies. And so if you're a manager on the non-engineer side and you want to break the ground and be on the same same field as the engineers, I guess one tip there is to treat them as a partner in 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 your problem-solving process. So you go to the whiteboard in that difficult conversation and you explain to them the business goals or the sales goals or the marketing goals that you have. And of course, the the sales goals for you are the sales goals for the company, which extends to the engineers themselves, right? They don't get paid if you don't sell or whatever. So tell them that these are the goals for the company. These are what you've talked to with the clients. And now you ask the engineer for their help uh, their advice on how they would help by like how they could contribute to getting towards those goals. So instead of the, make, they saying that, Hey, these are my requirements and this is what you're supposed to do. Say, okay, these are our requirements. And now you tell us what we should do together to get to these uh, business goals. Right. And that's, I think it may not always work depending on how, you know, uh, broken your company is, but <laughs> I'm sorry for saying that. 
but you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a starting point to a more productive conversation. I like that. I mean, it's thinking about being very specific about what you're looking for, why you're looking for it. And then the part that really rang true for me was the heart of the teacher and being who you are hiring is really willing to not only be a, a, a part of the company, but is also willing to teach and help grow with what you're doing. So Aman, where can our listeners find out more information about you? Do you, are you still writing on Medium? Can they still find your articles there? Do they reach out to you via your company? What's the best way for people to contact you? Sure. Uh, yeah, I still write on Medium. And uh, the best way to find us would be sandprem.com. That's the name of the company. And right on the homepage, we have you know links to the articles and also the, uh, the program page. And uh, once you get there, you can just... Uh, once, once you're on the program page, there's like links that you can use to uh, get in touch with, di- with us directly. That is amazing. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. I am really honored to have you here from your, your very robust background in technology, your success in your writing, the success in launching your own company, and for having the heart of a teacher and letting us see again what the value is in being a student of your craft, that to me is really what the essence of what we've talked about today is being a student of the craft and continuously learning and going back and thinking about how, how do I do this to better myself in what I'm doing? And I really sincerely appreciate it. And I want to thank all of our listeners for being here today and for joining us for another hour of Code the Future. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe to the show on the Voice America Network or download it as an app on your phone from the Apple Podcast or Stitcher. It's called just type in Code the Future and leave a review. And of course, if you have any questions, please reach out on the network or send us an email at hello at the dot consulting dot co. That's hello at the dot consulting dot co, C-O. And um, we look forward to being in touch with you. And thank you so much, Iman. And we'll see everyone on the next episode of Coding the Future. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then.